sometime later, I just had a real strong sense that she was the woman that I was intended to marry. And uh, so they say holy marriages are made in heaven. I think she was a gift to me from God. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that... Today's guest served his country with honor and distinction, has been committed to his wife for over 40 years, has six kids who love each other most of the time, has enough children to field a football team and still have a few subs, has cultivated a dedicated and loyal community of friends, and is generous with his time and resources. I don't know about you, but to me, when I hear that description and read that description, this sounds to me like like a successful man, and I am proud to call this man the most successful one that I know, and this man happens to also be my father. All that my dad has achieved and accomplished is even more impressive when you consider the fact that he didn't necessarily grow up in a home that modeled the generosity and love that he offers his children, grandchildren, and community. His childhood home was marked with abuse and self-medication, which ultimately led to him dropping out of school at the age of 16 years old. He was looking for an opportunity, and that's when he found the Army. He started as a clerk and quickly moved up to infantry and then became part of the long-range reconnaissance patrol when he was serving in Vietnam, and this is part of the 75th Ranger Regiment. And in the jungles of Vietnam, he saw a certain degree of safety mixed with adventure and excitement belonging to one of these smaller patrols. And we talk about some of the exciting things that they did in Vietnam and and saw, as well as some of the horrific things. But my dad left the military almost as quickly as he joined it initially, and he was young and confused. He had packed away all of this grief and was mostly alone when he came back from Vietnam. And he was sad about all of the young people who fell beside him. Then he came back and went to college and all of that Grief and everything became unpacked. All of his anger and hatred for his father became unpacked. And he ultimately wrote a letter forgiving and apologizing to his father for his role in their broken relationship. He never received a a reply, but it did open up something for him. He eventually graduated college with a degree in creative writing, went back into the army to become a military officer, and that put him in a position to meet my mother. And you'll hear more about all of those adventures. But one of the things he did when he wrote that letter to his father, asking for forgiveness and and offering forgiveness, he said that he let, he let go of a lot of anger and hatred. He let go of it. And in that act, He found himself back in church and renewed his relationship with Jesus. And he came into a relationship with God. And suddenly, 
All of that confusion went away. He said he felt like he was a ship that was listing to the side. And then in that moment, when he offered forgiveness and received forgiveness, even though no one responded to him, his dad never responded. But in that moment, he said the ship was righted. This was nevertheless a deep and meaningful conversation between myself and my father and may offer some insight and be interesting to you because it was certainly interesting to me. And and we all have our story. We all have our wounds. We all have opportunity to give and receive forgiveness, to mend relationships, to say I love you to people. And this was something I will always cherish sitting across the table from my dad asking him these questions. So bust out your pens and paper, or maybe, you know what, maybe keep your pens and paper in your backpack or in your briefcase, wherever they are today, and just listen, but definitely brace for impact. Dad, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Well, I'm just delighted to be here. (laughs) I can sense, I can sense. You know, I'm frequently asked, Mike, who is the most successful person you know? And without hesitation, my go-to answer is you, my dad. Not because you've stacked your coffers or have the most toys or the most houses or the fattest bank account, but rather it's because you served your country with honor and distinction. You have been committed to my mom and your wife for over 40 years. You have six kids who love each other most of the time. You have enough grandchildren to start a football team and still have a few subs. You have friends who are dedicated and loyal to you and to whom you are dedicated and loyal, and you are generous with your time and resources. And still, you and I both know that at times our our personal relationship with each other has been challenging. But that being said, all of those things I mentioned before, overweight anything, and you will always be the most successful man that I know. And I'm really excited to have you on the show. And, and I wanted to take the, kick things off by honoring the man that you are. Well, thank you. And I love you. I love you, too. Have you approved all the questions, Dad? Um, generally. <laughs> One thing I, off, I, I forgot to mention that I'm also incredibly proud about you for is the fact that you've been in business for over 30 years and have served the community and um and businesses in and around the greater Bay Area, including Santa Cruz, Monterey, Silicon Valley, et cetera, for, for over 30 years. And um, I'm really honored to, to be part of that legacy as well. So here's how things are going to flow. We're going to talk about your childhood. We're going to talk about your early life and, and your understanding of what fatherhood was at that time and maybe even what you believed your definition of a man was. Then we're going to spend some time talking about your early entry into the military, your time in Vietnam, your re-entry into civilian life, then going back into the army as an officer, meeting mom, having kids, leaving the army again, and becoming an entrepreneur, and how everything in between, faith life, relationships, all of that stuff. And and we may not get to all of it because this, you know, we we are gonna limit this to an hour. Um but we'll cover as much as we can, and, and you are always welcome back behind the mic on the Impact Entrepreneur Show, open invitation. Um, but I know that 
Many people are excited to hear from you. And one of the things they're excited to hear from you that people have actually requested because they've known you are going to come on the show is a funny or embarrassing story about me. So go for it. Well, there are so many funny and embarrassing stories that I just don't know where to start. <laughs> but uh, a funny story really is, is um, back in 1993, you were 13 years old. We went to World Youth Day in Denver, Colorado, and I went as a chaperone. And uh, so that was where Pope John Paul II came. And there were probably a half a million kids in um, Cherry Creek, Colorado, waiting for him to arrive. <coughs> and... Um, so he came and he left, and, and uh, it was around 11 o'clock at night, and um, myself and my other uh, chaperone friends, we were ready to hit the rack. But uh, the and young, by the rack, you mean the sleep, ground. They go to sleep. <laughs> and yeah. the young people were just um, uh, all enthusiastic. There's so, a half a million people in a big, gigantic open field. Right. And so we did a long walk around the field, came back, and things weren't tamped down. This was going on. You know, the kids were just whooping it up you being one of them. Now, just as an aside, Mike has always considered himself a little bit of a ladies' man and quite chivalrous. So um, finally, around 3 o'clock in the morning, I, I just nodded off. And this this uh, big field was broken up into squares, kind of like little dusty roads or trails. And so um, now Mike went in there, and he had all that he needed to get through the night, his sleeping bag and warm clothes and everything. But... Uh, Around three o'clock in the morning, I uh, I'm kind of half asleep, not really asleep, and I I hear this walkie-talkie saying, "Yes, his last name is Flynn, Michael Flynn. Yes, we think he has an appendicitis." And uh, I, I get out of this, I said, "Whoa, time out!" And they're hauling you off on a on a stretcher. You were s- sort of asleep, and you heard it and stood up. I bolted up, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and you were they were hauling you off, so I had to go down the trail. So it turns out what happened was that Mike had, uh, there was a young woman there who had, a young girl who had not brought a sleeping bag and warm clothes. So Mike being the night in shining armor, he gave her his sleeping bag and his coat. So he had nothing and he is. He became, I had a thermal blanket. And he became hypothermic. <laughs> yeah. Any hypothermia, we get down there and you know, to the age they, they swore that he had an appendicitis. I said, no, he doesn't. I guarantee you. And so he went to sleep. He woke up. He felt a little better. And uh, so uh, this is kind of the funny part. He definitely had something abdominal going on. We get out of there. And he, um, there were these porta potties. They were lines 20, oh boy. 20 feet deep. And uh, he had to go to the bathroom really bad. And there was no toilet paper. So there, someone was selling the Rocky Mountain Post. I bought one of those, and I uh, went to the head of the line. I said, "I have a sick kid here," and uh, <laughs> shoved, shoved me in the porting. Rocky Mountain Post. That was there. We go. Yeah, Rocky was, Mountain Post. That was a yeah. That, so that was kind of a funny story. Well, that is a funny story, and if you can't see, I'm blushing. Um, but uh, anyway, so thank you for sharing that beautiful story, and I hope people uh, learn a little bit about me in that process as well. But so now back to you. Okay, early life. Can you tell me a little bit about your mom and dad and how they met? Well, you know, my mom and dad met during World War II. Now, just a little background. You know, before World War II, um, there wasn't a lot of money out there. People never traveled, you know. 
So World War II definitely shook up the demographics of our country. My mother came from a little town in Oklahoma, Enid, Oklahoma. Uh, there was no exit from there. My father grew up in Oakland, California. He went, didn't go to college, went to work for the bank, Bank of America. And um, But World War II came along, and so my mother got commissioned as an officer. She was a college grad, which is rare back in those days for a, a woman to be a college grad. And my dad... She met my dad, who she was the second lieutenant. He was an Army warrant officer. And they had a world whirlwind romance, I assume. And they got married. They probably knew each other three months. And then he went to Europe. Mm-hmm. And they didn't see each other for 18 months. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I think that a lot of those relationships weren't well-founded. Right? There were, there were people trying to hang on to something before they went overseas. Mm-hmm. So that's how they met. Mm-hmm. And then did they did they have you guys before or after? It was well after. <clears throat> so, um, you know, um, life happens. And, um, you know, my mother um, had some uh, emotional difficulties during the war. She was discharged and went to live in Oakland near my grandmother. And my father came home and that's when they started the family. Okay. So they were, so when he came home, grandma was, was kind of... Uh, she, was, she was stable. She was stable? They, they, the point is, they didn't know each other that well. Yeah. And so, what? how did they cope with that? Well, I don't know. I wasn't there. But, um, um, so my dad went back to work with Bank of America and life moved forward. You know, we there were four kids. I was, I have a twin sister, so I was one of two. We were born in 1948. 1948. And, and how was, what was the, the environment the home life like? Okay. Well, just to kind of cut to the chase, we did not have a happy home life. Um, you know, my, my, my father was pretty remote. He was, you know, exteriorly, he, uh, he uh, was checking all the blocks. He was involved in the community. He would have been, he was a member of the American Legion. He was on the library commission in town. He was uh, the manager of the local bank of America. And my mother was a housewife. And, um, Lived in a typical brand new suburban home post World War II, um, but in the inside of our family, uh, my mother had was self medicating with alcohol, and uh, my father began a second life with another woman. Mm-hmm. That and uh, that went on during my entire childhood. I didn't really know about it and figured out till I was probably fifteen or sixteen. But um, you know, so in the interior of our life. Uh, it was not a happy home. We didn't have people coming into our house. We didn't. There was a deep sense of isolation and friction in the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, How did you? That's that's a the, the sense of isolation is something that you've talked about before and shared with me. How did you? What did you do? I mean, obviously, you. I think you probably knew intuitively that something was wrong. Just well, I knew that something was wrong. I really didn't. No, what was wrong? My father was a very angry man. Often, and he was mad. A lot. Was he ever physically abusive? Um, to my mother, but not to me. You know, he was physical, by the way. But, but um, not wanting to disrespect my father, disrespect my father. But, um, you know, he was trapped in a marriage he didn't want to be in, mm-hmm. and uh, my mother had a lot of challenges. And uh, why wouldn't you? I mean, that's just interesting. You don't want to, you don't want to disrespect him, but that's an interesting idea. A lot of people think you have every right to disrespect him. Why, why don't you, why do you take that approach? Well, you know, you owe your life to your father, right? You know, and 
you know, the, the fourth commandment, so honor your father and your mother, doesn't have conditions on it. So, you know, I, I want to honor uh, what can be honored in him, and I don't want to call a lot of attention to— So what was your favorite—I know that he did do things for you, even though he was a bit of a louse. Uh, well, no, 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 don't. Louse probably is— um, It's not a word I would have chosen. Okay. But, uh, anyhow. but anyway, so he, he, he did— Introduce you to the the Yosemite and the Sierras, and that is a passion of yours that continues today. What is one of your fondest memories of time with your family in the mountains? You know, we did have some family vacations, and I would say my mother was really more responsible for Yosemite than my father. But um, there were some long car rides, things like that. Uh, my father wasn't very engaged, so there were, uh, you know, I'm... Um, did you ever feel loved by him? Not particularly. Hmm. How does that, does that sting to say that? Not any longer. Yeah. Um, you know, um, you know. When did it stop stinging? Well, to kind of leap forward. Um, we, post Vietnam, we, we can leap forward and backwards, but go okay. ahead. Well, the, let's, let's do sequential. Okay? okay. I'll get to there. Okay. You'll get there. Okay. So. We'll go. We'll we'll go when we get but there. My, you could my talk predominant about. Predominant feeling as a young person was I wanted to escape home. I wanted to go someplace. Right. And I dreamed about leaving. Okay. What was your idea of manhood or fatherhood? What when you obviously there was things were not going well at home, and for most people that's our that's where we get our first impression, our first understanding. But you you went to school. You saw other things. So did you have any other role models? or uh, opportunities to see men or fatherhood at work in a healthy manner? Yeah, there were some kids in the neighborhood. You know, there were some some dads that were engaged with their kids. Um, you know, we went on a few trips with them. But not not anyone that really stood out, you know, that you'd want to model your life on. Uh, they seemed like they had a better life than we had. Uh, but I would say that from the earliest age, I really spent a lot of time thinking about the Army and dreaming about the army and, and wanting to be a soldier. From the time I was quite young, you know, watching and, movies. No, I, I don't know. You know, I, I read a lot of books on on army life, and you know, I was a big reader as a kid, and so that was that was something that was kind of a driver in me. And um, you know, I had a kind of a desire to go to West Point. That was kind of one of my dreams. It didn't happen for a lot of reasons. When my family broke up, things changed. But I eventually became a military officer. But um, but I had a desire to uh, to be an army officer, to be a soldier. Did you? Um, and I saw I saw that as an example of manhood. Okay. Right. And did you? Growing up, you were also involved in the Boy Scouts of America, right? Did Did you have a? Was there an influential person that was involved in your life there that not, kind not, of mentored you? No. 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 Really? Okay. Interesting. So, so you you eventually. But I did have some good times in the Boy Scouts, right? Yeah, and, and you're glad you did it. Yeah, I've it's one of my things. I've I've wondered about like you know putting my two sons in in the Boy Scouts. I've never done it, and now they're nine and eight. And uh, but I think it's a good. What, what are some of the lessons? Well, you have your kids involved in other things. Yeah, so they're involved in other things. And I, but... I intentionally didn't involve you in Boy Scouts. Yeah. So. When you think about you know transitioning in, into the military, you're, you're you you dropped out of school at sixteen. Okay, well let me just kind of tell you the story. 
uh, things were falling apart at home. Uh, my father left, um, and uh, my mother, um, um, uh, I was a classic adult child of alcohol. I took care of her from the time I was, you know, 11 or 12 to the time I left to go in the Army. And um, I, I just, I didn't have capacity. So, um, you know, high school kind of fell apart in my junior year. Um, uh, it was just overwhelming to me. Was Kennedy president then? No, no, no. Well, you can t- take a look at the milieu that I grew up in. Um, there were a lot of difficult things that were shattering back in the early 60s, you know. And certainly the death of John Kennedy was an earthquake to me. As l- I was 14. Hmm. And it was it was a shattering experience because Kennedy represented, you know, kind of a false vision of, of, of all that was well in the world. And, and that got shattered, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, and um, and then my parents got a divorce, and uh, Vietnam War cranked up. But I just couldn't stand school. You know, I, I couldn't concentrate, and uh, just because of the disorder in the family. Mm-hmm. And uh, you had no structure. So, yeah. So I, I uh, was looking for um, an opportunity, and uh, one day I was walking by the army recruiter. And I saw this um, this poster. It said it was a special forces poster, and it said, "10 men can take on 100." You know, uh, that that's for me. Sign me up. <laughs> so I went in there, and I saw you know saw the I took a test, and I saw this Sergeant Ball was his name. Old. And you were 16. I was just short of 17. Yeah. And uh, so of course he he uh, was happy to see me, and so I enlisted for infantry airborne. Told me I could get to special forces. Once I got in, you know, so that didn't happen. But um, I got into a variety of it. But um, so there you go. I'm 17 years old. Um, so the 10 men can take on 100. Did you have this? What spoke to you about that? Um, you know, it was something I aspired to. Um, not so much as taking on 100 people, but to beat the it, bad guy. Yeah, to be physically strong, to, to, um, to be successful, to, to, uh, it was just, a, you know, I wanted to do something adventurous. What did you have an idea of what success meant at that time? When no, you... but I do now. Okay. Yeah. But, um, so anyhow, I'm 17 years old. I go in the army and, um, I was quite young. Uh, I've seen pictures of me from those days. And if you crop them, uh, yeah, I look more like I might have been, you know, a Boy Scout more than a soldier. I, was... <laughs> I have seen those pictures. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, now you're 17 years old. You're in the army. Obviously, you know, you go through boot camp. You're you're aspiring to be that one of the 10 men who can take on a hundred. Had your mental and physical fortitude ever been challenged prior to entering the military? Well. <sighs> No, not to the level that it was. Now, in terms of my ability to handle the training and, and such, uh, it wasn't a problem for me. I was still essentially a little boy. I was 17, you know, so, I mean, there was a lot of maturing that had to be done. I was with men that were a lot older than me. You know, the, the average person I was going through boot camp was 21, 22. Back in the day, they had a lot of dra- draftees, so a lot of you know, people even older. So, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of got the nickname of Sweet Pea. But, uh, <laughs> but I, so, you know, I went through the training. Then um, 
the Vietnam War cranked up in 19, I went in the army in 1965, April of 1965, first American troops went into Vietnam. <clears throat> I was 17. Most of the people I went through training with went to Vietnam. Um, I was sent to the 82nd Airborne at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, because I, I had some administrative skills, you know, I mean, whatever, a 17-year-old, I could type, right? So I land up and land in this uh, company, and, you know, they made me a clerk uh, for a short period of time, and so that wasn't too exciting. As time passes, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm eager to get back. I'm, I want to get into the war for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And um, so, um, you know, I put my name to get into Vietnam as soon as I turned 18, and lo and behold, guess what? Your ticket got punched. Yes. Yeah. Now, but but so your the people that you went through training with, they got shipped out right away. But because mm-hmm. you were not eighteen, even though you were in the army, but because you weren't eighteen, they wouldn't let you go right away into a combat zone. Okay, interesting. It's still the rule. Oh, it's still the rule. Okay, but you could be seventeen and be in the military and be in, okay. You had to be emancipated minor. Your parents had to approve, et cetera. My, so they were happy to see me. So go. when you got. Um, so you didn't get to go ship out with people you went. Tra- did you? So did you travel over there by yourself? Right, and that was one of the problems with the Vietnam War. Is we we tend, you know, Vietnam had a lot of issues, but soldiers went to war and they came home alone. Uh, today, you know, people ship units. Hmm. Um, but I, these people that I went to went over there to the one seventy third Airborne Brigade. They uh, went right out of airborne training, and I went to the eighty second Airborne. By the time I got to Vietnam, a lot of them had died. So there was a lot of cadet people I went through training with were gone. Was that sobering when you got there? Uh, a little bit, but um, I think that uh, when you when you're a young person, you know, a lot of stuff washes off of you. Did you feel invincible, or no, like that's never, not going to be me? Or? I never felt invincible. No. What when you when you arrived there in Vietnam? What were some of your initial thoughts? Because you didn't, they didn't put you in a clerk position there, right? You were. Well, actually, when I when I got to 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 my unit in Vietnam, which was a cav- uh, infantry cavalry unit, um, um, they did kind of grab me and put me behind a typewriter, which I didn't like. But I wound up doing that for two or three months, and then I uh, got into an infantry unit, and um, and that's when I began to experience. The war. How quickly between the time you got in that infantry unit and your first battle or yeah. contact or whatever? Yeah, the... Contact is a better word. Fairly soon, you know, I, I remember, you know, they say war is a lot, a lot of monotony, monotony uh, with uh, intense moments of danger and, and violence. And I, that's how I would describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Was it difficult? To process that, you know, I mean, when I was reading, so for those of you who are listening, my sister Mary is a uh, an oral historian, and she actually interviewed my dad and a lot of uh, Army Rangers from the Vietnam era for a project for her graduate school project uh, a few years back. And one of the things that you said in the in the interview with her was that you quote. Feel things very deeply, but you don't show it. Well, what happened in Vietnam, and you know, of course, I was quite young. There would be people who would die, the young, you know, various ages, and uh, and 
I I did not respond emotionally to that, and um, and some people did, and I actually kind of looking at myself outside in, kind of thought maybe there's something wrong with me, you know. But later, when I came home from Vietnam and went to college, um, all a lot of that got unpacked. So I think what I did was I kind of anesthetized my feelings, so that uh, more of a survival instinct, hmm. and uh, but I, I definitely felt loss of these people very intensely but it was very very deep within me and mm -hmm. it came out when i was in college mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll get to college in a minute but so you're over there you started out as a clerk then you got into an infantry and, and then and then they started this long range reconnaissance patrol which is a ranger ranger it's regiment a, yeah right? so it's part of what's well, part of the 75th ranger lineage yeah, Ranger Regiment lineage. And so I volunteered for that. And why did I do that? Well, uh, I noted in the, the short time I was just in a regular infantry unit that we kind of moved in a mob through the jungle. And I saw people getting injured and dying kind of on um, humbug. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't a lot of measure of uh, control. And in, in the Long Range Reconnaissance, she went in to the hostile areas and six in, infiltrated it in six man teams. And so you could walk through the jungle stealthily, quietly. You could kind of control your element a little bit. So um, I, that's primarily why I went there and kind of fulfilling my dream about one man taking on 10 mm -hmm. and, uh, but also for the adventure of it and the excitement and uh, a lot of other reasons that only a 17 or 18 year old or 19 year old could really grasp. Did you meet any wild creatures when you were out in the jungle? Yeah, there was one uh, funny experience, and this is well into my time there. I, I did two tours in Vietnam. I was up up in the central highlands of Vietnam in this triple canopy jungle, and and um, we hadn't had any, any contact. We were waiting to be extracted, but we were, we we would log her deep into the jungle just in case there was some bad people around. And, I heard this tremendous crashing through the jungle, and um, and uh, it got closer and closer. And there were six of us. We got in a little tight circle. We unlocked the, the safeties in our weapons. It looked like that could be a large element of North Vietnamese army coming in there. And swinging through the trees was a family of orangutans. And uh, there were six of them, and just like us. And one of them had a little baby, you know, uh, kind of like a kangaroo. And um, and they were huge, and they were strong. Like describe, like how big? Like I know they seemed like ten feet long, but they were hanging through the trees. And they saw us, and they they came into our area, and they swung around the jungle three times. They circled us, and believe it or not, we were ready to unloose on them. And um, and then they left, and uh, it was one of the oddest, most interesting <laughs> experiences of my life. <laughs> this family of orangutans. Bizarre. You know, you know, one of the things that people who know you today would say about you is that your faith is a central, is central to your life today, but it hasn't always been that way. And in Vietnam in particular, you're, you didn't have much of an act of faith. I mean, you grew up Catholic. I think your mom dropped you off at church and you skipped church, but you made sure to pick up a bulletin so you could take it home as your report card that you went to mass. But when you look back at your experience in Vietnam, do you ever think about how God played a role in your life during that time? I, I do. Looking back, 
And I, I certainly wasn't um, a person of faith in Vietnam and for many years afterwards. But, um, you know, uh, life is a mystery and you have to think about why I survived and why other people didn't. And I, I essentially came home unscathed. You know, I developed malaria and, um, but um, I, I'm really the beneficiary of God's mercy and kindness. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I am, I'm, I don't have PTSD. I'm not someone that lives in the past. I'm not in 1966, 67. Um, you know, I've, I'm forward looking, but I never forget the people that were injured and died. And I, I don't say that in a morbid way, but I, I treasure their memories. I pray for them. But um, through the grace and mercy of God, I I came home and um, to have some more trials. But um, I learned many years later that the priest who baptized me, um, his name was Father Stack. I and he was when I learned this, his it was deceased. And when I was in Vietnam, every morning at six a.m. mass, he said mass for me. Those years. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I definitely, um, through no merit of my own, was, was uh, blessed. Wow. And um, so, you know, to, to whom much is given, much is demanded, right? Absolutely. When you go back, though, to your, your unit, your, your LERP unit or your other people, you know, it's, one of the things that's depicted in the movies anyway is that there's a bond, right? I mean, they even made a whole entire series about a band of brothers uh, from, you know, World War II. But you had these bonds that you formed with uh, with your brothers in arms in Vietnam. Did you enjoy being with them? I, I think that, you know, I valued being with them, you know, some more than others, but I respected them all. And there, there is something about being in combat with that forges a bond that um, it's hard to describe. But the, the odd thing about the Vietnam War is that, again, as I mentioned, we deployed individually, we left individually. So, you know, your time came up, you were there for whatever period you signed up for. I did essentially 18 months. I left, you know. And a lot of the people that I'd fought with were gone well before me. And so you, you know, you came home from Vietnam, you get off at the bus station, and here you are back in life, right? No transition, no uh, resources, and uh, you kind of figure it out. Much later in life, you know, I reconnected with all those guys I went to war with in Vietnam in my ranger unit. I've been to some reunions, and they're very meaningful. And uh, we're in touch. The guys, you know, took... 30, 40, 50 years for some people to reconnect. But we, in a sense, have gone back to the rally point. And, you know, I uh, every every day I get an email from one of them. And um, some of them have way too much time on their hands. You know? <laughs> so they, they're uh, sharply opinionated. But, um, yeah, I love them and uh, I treasure them. And they're, they're our brothers. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. 
You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. So your first time in the army was basically over almost as quickly as it started. You were in the army, enlisted in the army for almost three years, served in Vietnam for 18 months out of those three years, and then were basically dropped off at a bus bus depot and sent on your way, re-entry into the world. I mean, you must have, it must have been bewildering. When I got home, I became sick. I developed malaria. I spent a couple months in the hospital. But it, it I think you, as many of us, all of us in life experience, we just go with it. And uh, so, yeah, it was a confusing time coming home. I wasn't, I wasn't 20 years old when I got out of the army. Um, just shy of 20. Because it, it was actually two years. Not even legal drinking age yet. Yeah. Uh, two years, nine months. Because you know, they let me out three months early. I had this hospitalization. And there was no point in them sending me back to another unit in the States. So I got out. And um, it was a confusing time. You know, Robert Kennedy was killed. Martin Luther King was Martin Luther, Martin Luther King was killed. Colleges were crazy. So, I, you know, I went to college. It took me six years to get through college. You know, I, I knew that I needed an education, and I and I had the ability to go to college. I was settled down to some degree, and college provided uh, a place and a space for me to kind of figure things out. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what happened. It took me six years to get through college. When you were when you came back and you were going back to school and and reentering the world, the normal world, quote unquote. Did you did you reconnect with your siblings or your family at all during that time? Well, when I got home, my family was in really bad, bad shape. Um, my uh, my father had remarried. He had he did not look back. Uh, my mother was had a very very serious drinking problem, required hospitalization. My younger brother was in deep trouble. as a kind of a teenager. You know, my sister was getting her way through college. My twin. So it was a really not a no. It wasn't a place of stability. So you basically, for that period of time, you just you kept yourself separated, basically. Well, we were connected, but not close. Right. And uh, I think it was this. You know, I always say about divorce, and for any of your listeners out there who have experienced divorce or been through divorce, you know it. That um, it's, it's kind of like a car wreck. Everybody survives. Everybody gets out and survives one way or another. And mm-hmm. that's that's what I would say. You were in survival mode. Yeah, and, and and basically, from the time you were a kid all the way through Vietnam and then back into college, you were you, that mode never changed. Right, and I had to support myself, you know, and so I did worked a lot of one of the things jobs that and, one of the you things know. you said in your interview with Mary, which I which I loved, and I think it's it's interesting, is that you were serious about things, but not clear about things, and. Like you knew, you you knew that education was your ticket, right? And and getting that structure and, and getting a college degree and doing all of those things, but you weren't necessarily clear about things. What do you What did you really mean by that? I don't remember saying that. Yeah, but does that what does that resonate with you now? Well, no, not particularly. I mean, I knew that I needed to get through college, 
I didn't know what was going on in the other side of college, by the way. Hmm. But Vietnam, the war was really confusing. And I came into that academic environment. Again, it took me six years to get through mm -hmm. school. Mm -hmm. And it was confusing. Um, you know, the teachers had a certain perspective. The students had a certain perspective. There were a lot of marches and, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. And, uh, but I just kind of kept on, you know, in school, just kind of plodding along, getting through it. And uh, but during college, I began to experience a lot of anger and frustration, mm -hmm. and uh, it would come at me. And uh, you know, I really was I was unclear about the Vietnam War. I was I was confused, mm -hmm. you know. And I was still young, and I didn't know what I believed about being there, mm -hmm. you know. And it, it was troubling. And um, was it was and, it? And, and, and then I had the issue with my father, and my father had abandoned us, and. I was angry about him. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and, and, a, and I think that really what was coming out when you get right down to it was that, uh, remember all, I was telling you I kind of anesthetized myself? Yeah. I actually was grieving for these people that died. Mm -hmm. and, and I had the honor and the privilege of being with young men who I didn't necessarily know that well, but who were my brothers in arms, who were young people, not much older than me, some younger, and they died. And uh, I just packed that away, and I, and and I think college was a time where, you know, I grieved. There was a period in time where I really grieved, mm -hmm. and I really didn't. I couldn't put a word to that, but that's what was going on. Mm. One of the and, I, and I had embraced agnosticism in Vietnam, and I, but you know, I, I just didn't. But in a sense, I was really a serious student, mm -hmm. and um, and one, I was searching for something, and. Um, so this swing back to my dad. It's my last year in college. Again, it took me six years to get through school because I had to work. And and, I, and um, so one night, and I'm living in this one of dozens of places I lived during those six years. I I, I get up around ten o'clock at night, and uh, I, I don't know what motivated me, but I wrote a letter to my father. Um. You know, God's grace motivated me. But I, I wrote a letter to my father, and I said, Dad, you know, I forgive you. And uh, I wasn't the greatest son either, so forgive me for my faults, and let's begin anew. <clears throat> I wrote that letter, and my dad never responded to it, but it opened something to me. It opened a big door, mm. and I let go of anger and maybe hatred. Mm. you know mm -hmm. it, I let go of it mm. in that act through a series of events uh, within a, a month later a couple months I was found myself back in church and I renewed my relationship with uh, Jesus and the Catholic Church and uh, I came into a relationship with God and all that confusion went away mm -hmm. I've always said I felt like I was a ship that was kind of listing to the side and I just righted it just the ship just righted. Mm -hmm. And in uh, my last six months in college, I had a lot of peace. And I began to pray about what I was going to do after college. I really didn't actually know what I was going to do. I knew that I knew after that experience that I did not regret going to Vietnam. Uh, I knew that a lot of the anger went away. And it um, wasn't like I wanted to go back in the Army. But I began to pray about it. And one day... 
I was in working in a job and ran into a veteran, and he was had joined the Marine Corps Reserves, and I uh, initially thought he was nuts to go back on the Marine Corps Reserves, but then I had a little nudge, and I went I went back in the Army Reserves, and then after after I graduated from college, after I graduated from college, um, I re-enlisted in the Army and went to Officers Canada School and got commissioned as an infantry officer. And uh, so I got back on the bike or back on the horse, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and that was a very healing thing for me. So I mm-hmm. went back in the army, got commissioned, fulfilled, realized a dream that I had as a little kid, became an infantry officer, spent another 10 years in the army leading soldiers and doing fun things. And At what point did you meet mom? I, I was a, a second lieutenant in southern Georgia in the 24th Infantry Division. And I, I met uh, very active in the Catholic community. And I had a very good friend who lived in Atlanta. He was at a, at a conference down in Augusta, Georgia. And I joined him over there, and that's where I met your mom. Hmm. And um, What was your first encounter? It was after the event. I was over at a, a motel that they were all staying at, and uh, she was uh, quite large. She was eight months pregnant. Hmm. And so... Uh, I uh, was happy to meet her, and I said, uh, gosh, well, where's your husband? And she said, swallowed hard and said, I don't have a husband. So she she was pregnant, you know, had gotten pregnant, not married, no man in her life. So I took an interest in her, didn't fall over in love or anything, but I, you know, everybody was kind of keeping an eye on her, and I, I was part of that. That's why I met her. And I thought, and my first thought was, I admired her. She had guts. Yeah. And then when did you start to court her? Well, you know, we didn't have what you would call a traditional courtship. Um, I was up in Atlanta visiting my friend, and she lived right around the corner with a, in a, with a, a woman. So we looked in on her fairly regularly. One night we went out to dinner. My friend and Pam's her name and, and me. And he went to take a phone call, and we spoke. And he was gone for a while, and we started talking about what we wanted in life. And I, I just, in the back of my mind, um, I just thought, this person wants what I want in life, you know? And uh, What were those things that you wanted in life? A family and uh, children and communion. You know, I, I, I don't even remember. It just, it just, it just kind of opened that door. But mm-hmm. again, I wasn't, like, walking through it and— Sometime later, I just had a real strong sense that she was the woman I was intended to marry. And uh, so they say, holy marriages are made in heaven. And I think she was a gift to me from God. And so I said yes to that gift. And uh, so You said not, yes to two gifts. Yes, because as soon as I said yes to her, I knew I was going to be a dad. Yeah. And uh, and that, in fact, happened. So she, Because Joy was born how long after? Joy was born in December. I met her in October. And she went up to the Northeast for a few months. I joined her up there and went up and asked her to marry me in February. And um, and she came, we got married in May. And um, the day that Joy was baptized, it was the, the weekend that we were engaged. And I, I stood up there. We had met the priest and he had me stand in as the father. So I've been in Joy's life as her father from day one. Yes. What, when you became a father for the first time, when you knew you were going to be a dad, were you scared? No. 
Were you determined? I, I, determined is the word I would use. I, I felt like I was in the right place. I felt like I was arriving at where I was supposed to be. Mm. Were you, did you ever say to yourself, I'm going to do things way different than my dad? You know, like, for example, I, like, I think we all say at some point in our life, I'm, you know, when I'm a parent, I'm never going to say things the way my parents said things or do things the way my parents did things. And obviously, you know, you know, your, your baseline for, for that kind of litmus test was way down here relative to a lot of people, but. Well, actually what happened was that in the years, uh, in the many years that passed from my coming into a relationship with God to getting married, um, weren't that many years, it was three years. I, I had the privilege of really being invited in the homes of people who I would call role models in terms of marriage. And in fact, I'll share one of them that, see, as a kid growing up, I didn't have an experience of, of marriage, really. I didn't have a happy home. I didn't, there were, you know, I, I knew about, there was a mother and a father there, but there was a lot of conflict. There was never any reconciliation. There was never any forgiveness, which I, we didn't host people. I didn't have experience of married love, really. You know, I didn't even know what it was. Um, and, um, so this one family invited me into their home, uh, and uh, I would spend time with them. They had five children, and and they would have conflict. But uh, the thing that was amazing to me was I watched them reconcile. I watched them ask for pardon and give forgiveness. And it, uh, for me, it was like, a, oh, my gosh, amazing, you know? And it lighted a little candle in my heart, hope for marriage. And so, you know, I, I didn't so much want to reject what my parents didn't do or what they did. I wanted to live a life that, in a sense, image some of these families that I consider role models. Mm. So, uh, you know, and your mom and I, we spent a lot of time uh, looking for good examples and reading books and trying to do things right. Mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, you know, uh, you, and, okay. you and your sister were the first experiments, you know. <laughs> Yes, we were the guinea pigs. Yes, right. yes, yes. And and Joe, baby Joe, who's now twenty four years old, had it easy. Anyway, no, that's a little slight. We won't we won't go there. You know, we've spent a lot of time on the army and, and your time in the military because you've always said that the army was your mother and your father. Um and you and to even today in business, you know, when we're in meetings with clients or colleagues. Um, quite often you will share an antidote from the army and it will begin with, uh, when I was in the army and it's become kind of an endearing thing, but, but nevertheless, you know, you, we're going to fast forward here a little bit. You are an army officer. Uh, you are now, um, married with, uh, you know, f uh, five kids at this point in the, in the army and, uh, you know, you had not only a duty to the country, but duty to the family. And I had, to, I have to imagine not having been in the army or any the military and, and not having to sign, show up on X date at X time and be gone for one month, two months, six nights or whatever. I have to imagine that it, it was difficult for you to be gone so frequently. Well, first of all, I love the army. Okay, and uh, I will say that um, uh, you know every now and then someone 
will say, hey, well, thank you for your service. And, and I will respond truly that I'm the beneficiary of the service. I've got a lot more out of the military than I gave. Mm-hmm. I gave, but I mean, I, I received so much from the military in terms of formation and, and uh, personal development that, you know, I, that's why I say it's my mother and my father. They, it was a huge uh, plus for me, and I, I don't think I'd be who I am today or capable of doing the things I am doing today because I did not have an active father growing up, and there's a difference, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but um, um, I'm not sure what you Was it difficult being gone? Um, okay, so one of the things about the Army, and I think it's helped me in life, is it created in me a sense of duty. And um, and I would define that as knowing what you're supposed to be doing without being told to do it. You know, so what was difficult for me being away was knowing that my wife and was caring for the children by themselves. Mm-hmm. And um, during that period of time, so it was hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it didn't distract me from doing my duty, but it was it was a conflict. Mm-hmm. That's kind of one of the reasons I got out of why I left the army. Mm-hmm. Was it, I mean, challenging to miss things? Like, did you ever think about, I'm just curious, like, you know, you and I have done a lot of our, a lot of our own reconciliation work over the years, uh, you know, from, from my childhood. And because it was hard for me, as you know, like you not, you not being there uh, when I was a youngster, you know, um, but but I knew what you were doing. And I mean, I would go and I would see you with the generals and you, I would see you doing the general lay, you know, I think he wasn't a general at that time, but he was, became a general later, but you know, Fort Ord, you would be doing stuff, but you know, there would be things that you wouldn't be able to like for, you know, you, when we moved to Korea, you were gone for a whole month prior to us even being there. And then there was other things that you were doing when we were, before that at 400 Liggett and other places, but was it, was it challenging knowing that your kids might miss you, I guess is like the question I'm asking. And you can say no. I mean, like that's, that's totally a fine answer. I'm not fishing for anything. We've already had our reconciliation and all that stuff. So, I mean, if it wasn't, just be honest. I mean, I'm, I'm just curious. Um, I miss being home. Okay. I miss being home. And I actually left the army because uh, I, I chose my family over myself in a sense. Mm -hmm. Was that hard? No, not, not at the point of making a decision, Mm -hmm. but, um, but, um, so when you left the army, when you left your, uh, when you decided to leave your mother and father and cling to your wife and kids, since the army was your mother and father, using a scriptural reference there, kind of uh, in a funny way. Anyway, when you left the army, what were some of your hopes, dreams, fears, anxieties moving forward? I was ready to leave the army. I knew that I was ready to leave the army. I knew that I was equipped to leave the army and I was equipped to build a life. But, um, I think every step in life, there's fear about the unknown. So, I, you know, I left the environment of the military, and I began a business in a, in a new environment entirely with no experience. And, um, yeah, I stepped out of the boat and uh, prayed, showed up on time, worked, 
threw up on the lawn a few times. Things worked out, you know, but, uh, you know, you know. Talk about the importance of building relationships, because that was that has been one of the tenants to your success. One of the tent poles to your success is is building relationships and investing in relationships. How have you gone about doing that? Hey, uh, you know, I, I've been the beneficiary of having a lot of really good friends, you know, and uh, men who uh, are close to this day. I've, I've got friends that I've known for 40 years now, you know, and uh, that I've lived life with. You know, some of them are getting older. A lot of them are older than me. Some of them are dying. But I learned, I learned about fidelity, I guess, maybe starting in the Army and being faithful to other people. So... You know, I have a, a group of people that I'm very faithful to, that are faithful to me. Um, and in business, you know, I started out in business with people, and um, some I didn't know, and a lot of the people I've worked with over time have become friends. And um, so I've got clients I've worked with for 30 years. I think it's difficult for men to develop friendships. So if you're sitting across from a you know, 30, you are sitting across from a 39 year old man, but I have, I have pretty good re- relationships. They're, they're not perfect, but they're, and I'd like to see them deepen and get better. But how would you advise somebody to interested in deepening and broadening their friendships? Well, I would say pray, pick the right people, be intentional. It doesn't happen by accident. Be there for your friends. Mm-hmm. Dad, I love you very much. This has been really um, a lot of fun to to have you on my show. And before we wrap up, I have a few more questions. One of the things I want to know is what is the best thing about me? No, I'm just kidding. No, that's that's not, that's a real question, but not a real question. the 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 question I want to ask is what is the greatest joy you have of being a father and a grandfather? Well. I love being a dad and um, it's the fulfillment of my life. You know, I don't think there's anything more important than being a parent. I don't think there's any success that can come close to having children that are doing well, they're prospering, you know, you're creating eternal relationships. So I'm, uh, you know, I, I, uh, um, you know, I've taken great joy with every one of my kids and my grandchildren and pride and in their accomplishments and pain and their sufferings. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that is true. I know that you feel our challenges deeply. Uh, and I, I also know that you share in our triumphs and victories as well. I also uh, conclude every single conversation with three questions of every guest. Okay. So the first question is, if you can pick any skill set that you currently possess, okay, any skill that you currently have and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? I don't know. I'm really, I'm kind of flat-footed. Well, well, you're you're a good writer. That's a skill set. I can help you out. I can throw you some softballs. How about that one? How about if you could take a skill, if you could, so if you could take your skill of writing, which you are a good writer and you've got a degree in creative writing and then you became a financial advisor, uh, but you are a creative, I think we're all creative people, but you are a creative person. If you could take your skill set of writing 
and turn it into a superpower, how would you use it? Hopefully for doing some good. Well, um, what would that look like? Writing something that would meaningful to touch somebody's life. Do you aspire to write anything? No. Did um, you used to? Yes. Yeah. Well, what did you used to desire to write? Well, when, when I was in school. Romance novels? No. When I was in school, <laughs> I was trying to grapple with Vietnam, and I do have a gift in writing. But um, when I was a college student in those six years, I, I saw people who were striving to be writers, and I didn't necessarily see successful lives, you know? Mm-hmm. And I realized that although I was a good writer, I wasn't a great writer. And so that probably anything I would write would be destined for the dustbin of history. So I decided I wanted to be a family man. I wanted to have a family and make you children my books. Oh, I love that. I love that. um, So that's how I invested my life. So I kind of left the writing skill behind. I write a lot professionally. You know, I'm a good writer. It's a tool. Yes, and you write letters to us as well. I do. Typically around the holidays. I would shots across the bow. <laughs> if if uh, if you if there were three lies that we tell ourselves that prevent us from realizing our potential, what would they be? Or maybe what are three lies that you used to tell yourself that were hurdles that you had to overcome? I'm, I can't. I'm not. I won't. Okay, elaborate. What's the, I, I, I get I can't. What's the I'm not? I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. And then the I won't? I'm not going there. <laughs> and you need one, I should be going there. You mean I won't? What do you yeah. mean? In other words, I resist yeah. going where I won't I, do that or yeah, I won't, right, yeah. even though, even when you know you should. Yeah, like so go the, to the gym. I can't. I won't. I don't. Yeah. Okay. Those are the three things. I, okay. I like it. The last question, what's your favorite art form? This is not the last question, but this is the question before the last question. What's you your favorite question? What's your favorite art form? Uh, not that's not writing movies. I'm going to pick movies. Yeah, okay. So it's, it's 20 years from now and you've left a set of instructions for a, a screenwriter. <laughs> you can't see this, but my dad is shaking his head. You left a set of instructions for a screenwriter or a cinema cinematographer to set up a scene that would capture the most important elements of your life. What what would that scene look like? <laughs> uh, probably a moment I married your mom. Hmm. What 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 elements about that? What would be there? Give people a visual. I looked into her beautiful brown eyes. I said yes. I uh, put my fate in her hands. It's been a wonderful life. Well, Dad, thank you for this wonderful interview. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our sixty minutes together, and I look forward to many many more hours with you. Thank you. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out 
Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact. Thank you.